welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 21st episode, I'll be talking to Allison Stock, assistant editor at Marvel Comics and co-host of the Xeno Warrior Business Podcast, about formative anime and The Matrix. Along the way, we'll discuss deep Canadian content, lasting relationships built in online fan communities, and how even now, after all this time, nobody, and I mean nobody, likes Wu Fei. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail, and tell you how you can become a guest on The Map of You. Quick editor's note before we get started. This was the second episode where I tried the Zencaster podcasting system, and while Allison came through nice and clear, even recording locally through GarageBand, I still sound really weird, compressed, and the track is really noisy. So it's going to sound not quite as clear as usual. I apologize, like I said, I'll get this sorted out. We join this conversation already in progress. She's smooth. Like ice, cold to the touch, and it isn't very nice when you're left alone. Your lady treats you badly if you hang on the phone. Take off, shove your loving on the wheel, put the pedal to the floor, cause you're heading for the hills. Got to get away, can't take it no more. Man, you don't need this, leave her at the door. Right, Alison. Well, for for those who may not know you, why don't you tell us who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh, thanks. Shucks. I'm Alison Stock. By day, I am an assistant editor of comic books at Marvel, which is sort of pretty new and exciting and fun. And then I'm also the co-host, along with Chris Sims, of a podcast called Xena Warrior Business, where we analyze and discuss and watch every episode of Xena Warrior Princess, the mid-90s cult classic tv show we're four episodes in i also have a podcast with my sister that's on hiatus it's called lilas love you like a sister we were watching a show called kid nation which has been coined by us the greatest thing to come out of the bush administration the single (laughs) most amazing piece of anything it's it's very good very short-lived and we're moving on to voyage of the mimi whenever we start up again but my sister's in grad school so we kind of have to work around that but uh yeah comic books podcasts i'm also a photographer freelance nature i shoot a lot of like circus and music and theater and off broadway and broadway openings and that's cool a lot of stuff yeah you have a very busy life i'm very busy (laughs) (laughs) i think when you move on to voyage of the mimi i think you will have to live with the knowledge that that song will be stuck in your head for the rest of your life it's it's been stuck in my head since sixth grade so i'm fine with that it's also forever associated by me with jay and miles use it as the super doctor astronaut peter corbeau theme so whenever peter corbeau comes off in in silver age x-men there was a a character named peter corbeau who was an astronaut but also in the way of a lot of fictional doctors is an omnidisciplinarian okay and it's like knows about everything Uh and so whenever they talk about him because you hear the little do 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 <laughs> For me, it's more about having a tub of peanut butter and like peanut butter, yeah. And whenever situa- the situation is dire, you know it's dire because oh my god, we're almost out of peanut butter. <laughs> like not the captain's hypothermic and dying on a beach. Not we're out of fuel for the boat. Not the whales have all disappeared. The whales are attacking. No, we're out of peanut butter. Fuck. D- deeply concerning. <laughs> all right, Allison. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Montreal, Canada. We're from the same country, you and I. Let's get granular with this. What part of Montreal? Dollar des Armeaux, or Dollar des Armeaux, if we're speaking in French. Very nice. Good pronunciation. Merci. I did have to go to a French school for all of my growing up years in Canada. Were you in immersion, or did you have that thing where there was a little English class as part of the school? I was in immersion until third grade, and then once you hit third grade, you took English class, and then your music class was also in English, and then I think computer science was, learning how to use like giant Macs was also (laughs) in English, because it just kind of made more sense. When I was nine, so like towards the end of third grade, that's when we moved to the United States of America. Okay. I don't know, (laughs) the States, because in Canada, everyone calls it the States, so I said the, and I'm like, I'm not going to say the States. 
So it was like, well, the United States. I'm <laughs> You're allowed. I mean, it, it, it's the States to me, too. The reason I asked for where specifically is I was at a friend's birthday party last night. And like one of their friend's boyfriends, like someone I'd never met before, had a Canadian accent. We were talking about stuff. And I finally, like, oh, well, you know, where are you from? And he lists someone and he says, Montreal. I'm like, OK, but where are you from? And then he started to go into <laughs> the specifics because when I was in grade four, I, I lived for a year in Saint Anne de Bellevue, mm-hmm. nice, and uh, went to school in Baie And also in my time in Canada, we we like, had to drive through Montreal on the way to other places, lots and lots. Right. So the, I know, like, okay, you go this far, and then you turn on the twenty, and then you got to hook back up, <laughs> and then you've got to. It's like I don't know that much. Well, yeah, I, I was yeah. the kid in the the passenger seat trying to direct my dad, like you know, oh. rally driver style. All right, and turn. <laughs> I'm a professional. I'm three years old, but I know where we're going. <laughs> That's cool. It was always confusing for me, though, because Montreal was, you know, a city and also province, I, something. It, and then, But then there was Quebec. Montreal is in Quebec, but then Montreal itself was also a city, and then Quebec was also a city. Yeah. It was very, it felt very like, like, like a nesting doll of provinces and French <laughs> names. And even now, I'm just like, who the fuck? Where? The West Island? Yeah. I'm from the West Island. That's, that's <laughs> as far as it gets. And, and now we're <laughs> at the point where you're like, okay, we can also say there's also a mountain in Montreal named Mont Royal. And so when you That's say it quickly, it's Montreal, which is why it's named that. And so it completely exactly. confuses everyone. I'm from, I live on the mountain. I <laughs> went hiking on that mountain once. I went back last year to help out at a film festival that my aunt and uncle run. I went to visit some old friends and one of my friends and I were like, let's go climb the mountain. So we were driving around the city and we didn't really know where to go, where to park, what to do. So we pulled down this rural street, like houses on it. And we pulled over to the side of the road and then we just walked to the woods. (laughs) Like there wasn't a path really. It was just, well, we're in the woods. Yeah, because nothing bad has ever happened to anyone who just walked into the Canadian woods and said, I'm sure we'll find a way. Well, it was broad daylight, so it was fine. We did make it out though. And I'm, I'm shocked that we didn't get lost. And I'm shocked that it all went as smoothly as it did we got to see the view we got to see the lookout we saw the biodome oh my god we went on field trips to the biodome a lot when we were younger and there was like a lego world and then there was the actual biodome itself which was like there was an indoor rainforest there were all these different climates and animals and nature and it was really a wonderful learning experience the building's pretty iconic as well and one trip they said that we could all go up to the top of the spire Mm -hmm. and i was too scared to do it and I never had the chance to do it since, and I, I'm, I still regret it. <laughs> oh, maybe someday when you're back, you can be like, I will conquer the biodome. Climb to the top of the biodome. <laughs> <laughs> King in the castle. King in the castle. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to be fine getting onto CBC Radio because we've got that hard-hitting Canadian content right up front. CanCon! <laughs> yeah, Chris mentioned CanCon when I was talking about short circuits. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. And Beyond the Mind's Eye? <laughs> Oh my God. I was talking, well, we'll get, we can get into that, but I was talking about that on an episode of Xena, I think, Mm. of the Xena Warrior Business Podcast. And Chris goes, it sounds like CanCon to me. And I'm like, what's a (laughs) CanCon? He's like, Canadian content. Oh my God. These were so, so good though. And you remember them. So this is amazing. I remember that. And I remember, was it Street Sense, which was like a, like a, like consumer advice program for kids, like, you know, that would do things like deconstruct advertising and stuff. Maybe. The thing is that when people say, oh, yeah, you know, you have to have this much Canadian content, or as people in Canada call it, content. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, shows. I definitely had a crush on, you know, remember YTV? Oh, yes. Which VJ? There was Snit, and then there was, and then there was like the Asian VJ. I definitely was into both of them, the human and the television. <laughs> <laughs> the anthropomorphic alien television. Oh, do you mean uh, Sukin Lee? What was his name? Well, there was Sukin Lee, who was one of the first, uh, who went on to do Definitely Not the Opera. Oh, Phil. Oh, Phil. Oh, it's Phil, Phil we're talking about. Okay. I had, I had such a crush on Phil. Hang on. I am he looks kind of Filipino, actually. Filipino. Phil. Oh, oh damn. Yeah, Phil, Phil's cute. <laughs> Can vouch. Phil was, I had such a crush on him. And then Snit was his, like, wingman. Anthropomorphic, like, toothy, chewed gum television yeah <laughs> on the zone yes that was it and this was right before sailor moon would come on so i would be like all right i'm in the zone i'm watching snit i'm watching phil i'm watching sailor moon i'm happy i'm a canadian and then like in the commercials there'd be short circuits or beyond the mind's eye so i'm like wow technology modern day we live in the beautiful world it's 1995 <laughs> and then rugrats you mentioned short circuits on xena warrior business which led to uh i think our first twitter interaction where we talked about reboot oh my god Oh my god, 
Oh my God. Reboot <laughs> also debuted on YTV. One of my favorite shows of all time. It's uh, for people that don't know it. It was like a a pioneering 3D animated animation endeavor and it's these guardians they all, it's inside a computer and so there are people so there are computer programs who are all like squares and circles and geometric robot beings the binomes binomes yes thank you mm-hmm. oh my gosh and then there were the guardians who were people but yeah. with blue and green skin yeah they were like um, sprites yeah. yeah, the sprites oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so there was Bob who was like oh no Bob was the Bob was the guardian, and Bob was the guardian of the computer. Who had that perfect '90s hair in silver oh that never oh moved, <laughs> never, <laughs> like the the solid tendrils. And Bob was blue, and I used to think the show was called Blue Boot instead of Reboot when it first started. So I was like, <laughs> I gotta watch Blue Boot. <laughs> and then there was Dot Matrix, her brother Enzo Matrix, and then there was Hexadecimal, who was evil, and I would love to cosplay as her one day. Oh wow, that would be awesome. That's my dream. Although you'd have to have all those little, because uh, Hexadecimal, for again, for those who haven't seen the show, has a, a static mask as her face. And so every time there'd be a cut or a wipe or her hand would cross her face, the mask would change. And so she could be silly and laughing and it would change to like a toothy mask and be really yeah. scary. I imagine if you're cosplaying as her, you'd have to have like a little bag full of all the different masks so you could switch it up for different <laughs> photos. I'd probably do that. And for those of you who are on more on my level of things, it's that scene from The Princess Diaries 2 when Anne Hathaway is playing with the fan. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Megabyte, who yeah. was like the big bad. And he and Hexadecimal were like against each other as well. Yeah, because they were viruses. And yeah. he, he was sort of lawful evil and she was more chaotic evil. She wanted everything to be like, you know, crazy and messed up. So sometimes they would like help the guardians against each other my favorite part though the episode when hexadecimal takes over the computer world and she Mm. like makes everything in the paint program and at this point in time the paint program was so primitive like original paint with like everybody knows the paint program on the computer of course yes ms paint it was such an interesting exploration of this technology yeah, and it was also that they, they were playing with, okay, we, this is a mutable world. You know, you can turn someone's face into a broken JPEG long before Homestar Runner did it. <laughs> and, and yeah, and it was just, it was the first time that they were really like, okay, we're in a computer. We can do literally anything. So do you remember when they shot Bob into the internet, into cyberspace? Oh, yes. Megabyte double-crossed him and sent him off to the web, which is different from the net. The nets like cities and like highways and stuff and guardians and people. Whereas the web, I think I was explaining to someone the other day where I'm like, it's the difference between a forest and the wilderness. One has things that'll probably eat you. Or it's the difference between planet Earth and outer space. There you go. <laughs> and there are the web I, creatures. And yeah. ab- after that happened, that show got raw. Like It got dark. Here's the problem, though. After they shot Bob into cyberspace, I thought that was the end of the show for years. Oh. And I think they didn't air after it on YTV or The Zone at least. And so like a decade went by and then I was in like later in life, like I moved on. I was an adult though. I was like a teenager at this point. And I was talking to someone I knew on a message board about Reboot. We were bonding over it. And I was like, yeah, I can't believe they ended it on such a cliffhanger. And then she was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, they shot Bob into space and no one knows what happened. She's like, babe, there's like four more seasons. <laughs> <laughs> So like Enzo gets beefy, Enzo gets swole, then there's like the Silver Surfer, (laughs) and then the Mermaid. Voiced by Mel Gibson's brother, Donald Gibson, who sounds just like him, (laughs) complete with Australian accent. Oh my god. Yeah, because what happens is that, yeah, when when Bob gets sent off into space, essentially, Enzo has to step up and be like a kid guardian. Like he takes the broken glitch that, which is Bob's Aww. weapon, and like step and tries and really glitch. tries. Oh, and glitch! I love glitch. And he would tap and go glitch. Get me a smoothie or something. Something, and it would transform into it, <laughs> including a, a memorable glitch. Anything where it becomes a shower rod, oh, which knocks out megabytes. Anything. <laughs> I remember that. Oh my god! I so vividly, now that you mention it, remember that. And thinking, um, thinking back on that show, there are so many good computer puns that were just completely missing me at the time. Like Hexadecimal has a little round cat bot thing. Scuzzy! Scuzzy, which is named after a scuzzy <laughs> port that just yeah. went completely over my head. S-C-S-I. Yeah, exactly. S-C-S-I. It's even spelled that way because you're just hearing it. You don't even think. Yeah, you think. There's one episode where they go in, they, they have to set up a firewall to block yes. off the viruses. And, it, oh and there's like a James Bond opening where it uh-huh. like, sounds like Thunderball. But it's firewall. It's 
it's incredible. <laughs> oh my god! And we're not—we haven't even gotten into the games. Like, assuming that there was a human being using a computer and putting mm. a game in, it would translate into this world as all the lights going out and this warning: incoming game, warning: mm-hmm. incoming game. And this big purple giant cube would slowly descend onto various portions of the city, and the guardian's job was to get into the game, make sure he was under that cube when it landed, and save all of the all of the people that got stuck in the game yeah. and beat the user. So it's like a game where the NPCs always win. That fucked me up. Yeah, because if the user wins, then everything in that sector that where the cube landed is destroyed and all of the little binomes and people turn into nulls, which are these little slug things that oh aren't God, sentient. The nulls. Do yeah. you remember when Dot lost a game? That fucking clown carnival game. Oh, and, and it was that weird trippy like dream sequence thing where it's like she sees Enzo and he's like a punk. Mm. Basically, every everything went bad because Dot lost the game. The idea it's like it's no it's a wonderful life bad future kind of thing. Except she didn't choose to lose the game. She was trying really hard. Yeah, and she just didn't win it. I mean, there wasn't quite someone tossing and turning and turning and going ah horrible future, horrible future. <laughs> but but it was pretty close. <laughs> Oh my god. The idea, and the whole point of the series, the reason it's called Reboot, is because when you go into the game to change from your normal appearance into something like a game sprite, you would reboot. And of course, you'd get weapons and you'd get skills. and You'd tap, you'd tap your little... Yeah, you'd tap your icon. I, w- I keep trying to find a pin of that so I could wear it on my jackets, and I haven't found one that I like. Oh, you, there's got to there's be. Like, with, with the enamel pin craze the way it is. The haven't fact that found there is, one yet. Oh my god. I gotta make my own. You'd have to wear it like on your hat or something, like Enzo. I did get a hat from work a few weeks ago. It's a, it's got a Deadpool emblem on it. And I was we all sorry, I was looking at the hat. We all got these hats at work and I was wearing my hat, my Deadpool hat, and then someone walked by and he goes, I can't stop thinking about those fucking Trump red hats when I see that. I'm like, God damn it, he's ruined red hats. <laughs> um, aside other than, you know, and healthcare and democracy and all that, but And lots of stuff. But also red hats. But yeah, really it's it's the red hats that have suffered. <laughs> Fuck. I am still gonna wear it because it's Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, there's a at my local comic book shop here in Sydney. They had a huge, like life sized Arkham Knight batman statue and it would <laughs> nice. it had a, it would always hold a sign that would say like, oh you know bag checks or you know happy holidays or whatever else until recently when they got a deadpool and the batman was sent to the back issue section and <gasps> now there's a deadpool with a santa hat that greets you and oh my gosh sign of the times <laughs> yeah as part of my christmas cards i shoot polaroids and so i went and got a polaroid of deadpool wearing a santa hat and that was part of oh. part of my christmas cards this year <laughs> that's so festive i love that <laughs> Although technically, you didn't—you don't even need to put him in a hat. You could just put a little pom pom at the end of his little nub in his mask. <laughs> That's true. The nub. So it's already coming to a point. <laughs> That's cute. I like it. While we did want to talk about that sweet CanCon. CanCon. You did want to talk about mostly Canadian television that and anime that sort of shaped your growth. When you're talking about anime, well, you mentioned Sailor Moon before. Yeah. But what else was really formative for you? Well, Sailor Moon, I would say, was very formative. I didn't mm. really watch anime until after I moved to the States and got emo. Uh, <laughs> but Sailor Moon was on YTV, and it was not considered an anime. It wasn't this weird stigmatized thing. Like, later on, mm. I would learn anime was very stigmatized. But in Canada, it was just this cartoon about magical girls. So I've And I've talked a lot about this on my appearances on Sailor Business, the podcast. Which everyone should go and listen to. Basically, everything in my life right now is the result of being on Sailor Business. My job, my own podcast. Like, it's just nonsense. I love it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Find me in a bar one day. I'll tell you the whole story. <laughs> but Sailor Moon was such a huge part of my, like, youth. I would play pretend with my friends. We had, like, a club in school where we would, like, be the Sailor Scouts. And we'd, like, stop people from bullying. We'd stop people from drawing on the school wall. We'd be like, hey, in the name of the moon, give me back my lunch money. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And Ray was my favorite, but I could not get to be her because I had blonde hair. Oh, no. But then they were like, you could be Sailor Jupiter. And I'm like, but Lita... Has brown hair. (laughs) Yeah, has brown hair. And they're like, well, the best we could do, (laughs) because all the other spots are filled. I was going to say, it's not like there are two blondes on the team or anything. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to be Venus either. Nobody wants to be Venus. wood. <laughs> um. No, Ju- Jupiter was in fact the best, so I think you came out of the yeah out of that scenario pretty well. She's a she's a pretty good one. I, I got a real appreciation for her when I moved to the since YTV only had such a small selection of episodes that they would show. Once I moved to the states and got into Toonami and then the internet. 
I would kind of trudge around the dark inter like anime turnpike, Anipike. You remember that that website? I'm happy to say that I do not. Happy. It was like a haven <laughs> for anyone on the internet back then. It was like was it like was it like a subbing community or what was it? Or was it just like sharing stuff? Or it was, was a or it, it organized every website for every like shrine site, every online art role playing like click through role playing websites, which were really oh, big yes. in the late nineties, which I loved and I was a huge part. I did them for Sailor Moon and then for like Dragon Riders of Pern, which was my life. But before we go that down that road, I because I do I, I just love Pern so much. Um but <laughs> Sailor Moon is sort of what led me to Gundam Wing, which was also mm-hmm. like my fucking favorite show ever. <laughs> it's kind of like the most polarizing of Gundam series, I think, in that it was so popularized by being on Toonami and having all of these like talented American voice actors, Canadian voice actors doing mm-hmm. the English roles. But the dub was so bad and so bland and so monotone. It was like the Outer Senshi from Sailor Moon, but every character. <laughs> and the Outer Senshi talk like this. Lucas, how are you? I'm fine. I, I'm having deep emotions about things. Yes, so am I. We really need to get on with our mission, shouldn't we? We need to find those pure hearts. Yes. And ride some motorcycles. And fuck everyone that crosses our path. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean, I mean fuck them over. Oh, that went wrong. That yes, I understood goes. your meeting. We're communicating on an almost telepathic level. Yes, are we cousins or are we lovers? The world may never know. <laughs> Come along, cousin. <laughs> uh, they're just gal pals, you know. Gal pals, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. I'm so glad that Sailor Business has gotten into the Outer Senshi episodes now. It's really a delight. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me more about Gundam Wing, because the thing is that I, I think this was one where I knew of it, but never actually sat down to watch it. Well, this one was, I would kind of run home from the bus stop after school to make sure I could get into the den and watch Toonami and watch Gundam Wing. Mm-hmm. And I also had the other factor against me was my sister, who thought I was a nerd and would make fun of me for watching Gundam Wing. Or so I thought. She really didn't care, but like... She just didn't want to watch anime, so I'd be like, no, it's my turn. I have to watch this. So Gundam Wing was a 52-episode series about, you know, there's the Earth, and then there's colonies, and there are five colonies in space. And each colony sends a teenage boy (laughs) to the Earth with their these, like, super weapons, Gundams. Because there's mobile suits, which are just, like, giant robots that you sit in and you fight each other. You know, like a mecha. Like a mech. Mecha, however you call it. And then Gundams are made of this material called Gundanium alloy. (laughs) So they're, like, (laughs) super resistant and super strong. And so there are five boys, and they were named after... Well, Hero is the first one. And then two through five are named after the numbers two through five. So Duo, Troa, Trois, Quatre, Quatre, and then Wufei, Wu Five. (laughs) But Wufei had the worst storyline and the worst characterization and the worst subplot and I think it was really racist because he was Chinese and they're like no one cares about the Chinese one so it was really weird um, the way that (laughs) even the show was just like like even like in fan fiction no one wrote about Wu Fei (laughs) on the shrine sites there was always nothing for Wu Fei (laughs) it's the millhouse of the Gundam universe (laughs) It was really weird. And like, I didn't like Wufei. I thought he was a shithead. Like, I thought he was so rude. And I'm like, wow, he really hates women. I'll be a woman one day. Gotta write him off. (laughs) (laughs) But I really liked Troa, who was a circus performer. And I was like, I'm into circus. And I did trapeze for like years and years and years. So I was like, hey, it's me. (laughs) But, and he was really emo and he wore his hair. (laughs) Google a picture of Gundam Wing Troa Barton. And just look at his hair. It's a delight. (laughs) Everyone do that if we're keeping this part in. Oh, wow. That is some... (laughs) Okay, for those who have not Googled it, imagine that you had sort of mid-length hair, moderately short on the sides, but rather than slicking it back, as is the style of the time, you rubbed it in some Elmer's glue, and then you sneezed really hard and flipped it forward over one eye. And then it stuck that way. (laughs) It's like a giant, like, ugh... It's just so stupid. It's like the animator is is like in the process of paint brushing him, but then <laughs> had a heart attack and the brush stuck. <laughs> I remember when I first moved to the States, though, I was very emo. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was very bitter and like, oh, I had so many friends in Canada. Why did you take me away? Fucking mm-hmm. lie. Like, fuck everything. And I was in Hebrew school one day and I remember sitting there bringing a piece of a strand of my hair from the back of my head to the front to hang into my face. And I remember thinking... People will know now 
they'll know not to come close. <laughs> I know I shouldn't laugh because these are deep, deep no, personal feelings. You but can laugh. it's deep and very stupid. <laughs> I, I did have a friend who used to keep her her bangs really long because this so they were over her eyes, so she could theoretically look at people and not have them notice. Except for everyone would just look at her funny. She's like, "Why is this girl looking at me through her bangs?" I know, right. <laughs> I was so into Gundam Wing, but I could never watch the episodes continuously because mm -hmm. of, you know, I had extracurricular, I had family, I had all this stuff. So I'd go online on Anna Pike and I'd find these like click through all RPG websites. I found this website that I think it was like a black website and the font was like neon green. <laughs> and I think this was my first experience with fan fiction because it, oh, was, wow. it was not Yowie and Yuri. It was Lemon and Lime. <laughs> so I was dating myself. And I would read all of these like this fic about Gundam Wing and then I read one that like was a Gundam Wing Sailor Moon crossover and it paired oh, wow. everyone up and I was like oh this was before <laughs> I got into Slash even though Hero and Duo and Troa and Katra and then Wufei and his right hand were <laughs> <laughs> it's five someone's gonna get left out <laughs> his hand glows with an awesome power <laughs> Uh, you're the only one that understands me, my right uh. hand. What would I ever do without you, hand? <laughs> I have to okay, pay I a prostitute breathe. like a normal person. I gotta breathe. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you broke yeah. the Poor Wufei. Oh. <laughs> the worst. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. There, there's this part in the show when Wufei is like fighting this other mecha, or, like this other mobile suit, mm -hmm. and he's like fighting the fighting and fighting, and then it, he beats them, and then they get out, and he sees that it's a woman. He's like, a woman? If I knew I'd be fighting a woman, <laughs> he like loses his fucking Gamergate mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wufei would have started Gamergate if he was a real person in our day and age. Let's just say that. Not all Wu Fei's. <laughs> not, uh, not all Shenlongs. <laughs> not all Natakus. <laughs> uh, now, I was going to say, I have a, an odd connection to all things Gundam because my girlfriend's dad is a huge otaku and Ooh. always has been to the point where when Kimiko and I went on our first date, I, she's like, oh, what do, you, what do you like? And I was like, oh, you know, I like comic books and stuff. You know, I'm trying to downplay it, trying to be cool. Uh -huh. and, and she's like, Oh yeah, I think I can get that. And then I finally got. I went up to her parents' place for New Year's for uh, Ozoni breakfast. And her dad has rooms of like you know when you go to the comic shop, all those big statues, and you think who buys oh, those yeah. big statues? <laughs> yeah, he buys those statues. <laughs> and then we get into the Gundam room. <gasps> what? It is an entire room where it's just like he has two desks that are in like an L shape. Oh my god. And one is all built <gasps> figures and the others are ones that he has yet to build. That's so cool. It's that, it's amazing. These people exist. He's a former diplomat turned postman in his retirement. Uh-huh. And so yeah, basically he and like he's turned Kimiko's room into a train room that also has shelves and shelves and shelves of unbuilt models and like, oh you know, god. full-size GI Joes. And McFarlane toys spawn figures, and oh my god! Like there, there have been days where it's like we've house that for them, and I've just gone fossicking in that room, just been like. <gasps> but then I also say things like, if you're gonna buy it, like a, a bust of the thing, why buy a Civil War thing? I don't get that. <laughs> or if you're gonna buy a Deadpool statue, why Lady Deadpool? Well, <laughs> apart from obvious reasons that I don't want to discuss with my girlfriend's father. <laughs> we should all be so lucky, though. Usually, people's parents turn their bedroom into like a gym or an office when they go to college not mm -hmm. this dad <laughs> not all dads <laughs> at one point we were moving and uh, we we're moving in together and her mom was joking it's like oh you know you can always move back in with us and frank's like no no she can't Faye. i'm not moving my trains <laughs> oh my god it's pretty great oh we, yeah we bonded the first time we met over because <laughs> we were both playing far cry 3 and how difficult it is to get away from leopards. And okay. her mom got real mad that we were sitting in this nice restaurant and we're talking about going into a room and finding a leopard under the bed and having it kill you and being like super scared. <laughs> yes, how dare we talk about things we like in public. Get back in the Ugh. nerd closet where you belong. <laughs> oh, that's oh. amazing. All right, what's next on your list? I've got The Matrix, which was my first like hardcore fandom. And then I have... Dragon Riders of Pern, and then the Jedi Apprentice book series. 
So I have a particular story about The Matrix that when that movie came out, I saw it and I loved it as everyone did. What then happened is I was visiting my mom in the summer between high school and university. I, and my mom was living in Lethbridge, Alberta, and I was going to university in Ottawa. So I was basically there for about a month mm-hmm. to basically buy school stuff and then move over for, the, for university. And while I was there, the local theater like turned 25. Okay. And so they basically said, look for today, for this Tuesday. Wait, the movie theater or the, the Broadway theater, like the stage? The movie theater. Okay. <laughs> and so they're like, for today, because it's like a Wednesday, all movies are free. Ooh. You can come as much as you want. You can see whatever you want. Admittedly, there wasn't a ton on because, you know, it was, you know, 2000 <laughs> Like a $9 movie was free. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> Big loss. So what I did, being the reasonable person that I was, is I watched The Matrix like six times in a row. <laughs> Like as soon as like I would leave the theater because they made you walk out again and I would turn, I would go and like buy something to drink and then turn around and come right back and watch it again. Oh, you're bad. (laughs) I know, right? Bad to the bone. And so I was very familiar with that movie. And then later when I got it, I got, I bought the videotape. But at the time I was also in the depths of my videotape piracy (gasps) trend. I had two, I had two VCRs and a stack of labels and I would get three movies to a tape. Oh my god. The Matrix was where it all fell off the train because I then had to make copies for all my friends to the point where my VHS copy was so degraded that it had like it was basically looked like Kung Fury where <laughs> you have all those tracking problems and like whole scenes are like almost grayed out. Oh no, the worst. But in doing that because I would have to have the TV on to make sure it was taping. And so The Matrix was on all the for time. like 20 days straight. <laughs> Oh my god. It was only recently when a couple of years ago they did uh, the, the Sydney Symphony Orchestra did The Matrix at the Opera House what? where they projected it onto a big screen. Oh my god, I want to go to that. It was it was actually really great cuz they put it on this huge screen and then played the soundtrack <gasps> to the movie. Oh my god, I'm like in heaven just imagining this. Oh my it, god. It was actually amazing. And things what happens is that in that environment you really get to focus on the cinematography and all the sound design and like when the little bug is scrabbling around on Neo's stomach. Oh, I hate oh those noises. Oh, I hate it. They had one violinist just going for broke. <gasps> just <laughs> It was incredible. Like it was really good. That's amazing. I love that. So, you want to talk about the Matrix, so I will now hand you the floor. Thank you. I said before that I moved to the States when I was at the end of third grade, and I was not a very popular person. And then The Matrix came out in 1999. So let's say end of 99, early 2000 was when it was on VHS and DVD, DVD, I guess. And by then, I had made a couple of friends, not very significant progress really in being a social person. But I got invited to a big sleepover at this girl's house, and she was rich. Her parents were rich, and the house was huge, and there were, like, 30 kids. And it was my first, like, big sleepover ever, and it was tremendous, and it was so cool. And I get there, and I'm overwhelmed, and it's weird, and I don't like anybody, and they don't like me. And I sort of bonded with the girl's dad, who was watching The Matrix on TV or on the movie, like, an I was like fixated on it. I'm like, what is this? It was scary. It was dark. It was intriguing. It was confusing. It was complicated. Like I saw from the beginning, like when she's in the when she's in the phone booth and then the truck comes at her. I'm like, where did she go? <laughs> like, like I was like prime audience material, and I just ate that shit up. So I I would like look online once I was computer like. I would be online like, what's The Matrix? What's this movie? I was going to say, you were, you were a viral marketer's dream. I was Neo in the beginning of this movie. <laughs> what's The Matrix? Who's Morpheus? Sleeping at my 20 st- screens with like massive <laughs> attack playing in the background all the time, forever. <laughs> and I don't, and anyway, I found this website called The Hardline. It doesn't exist anymore, but there's a web, there's like a shrine website in, to commemorate The Hardline at this point. And what it was, was a message board for fans of The Matrix. But what it turned into was this big kind of friend family group ship thing where the, so the three women, Casey, Ray, and Liz, Ray, Liz, and Sarah, sorry. And the three of them were the heads of the, the website and they were called the goddesses. And they were like the mods. They were in like high school and college. So they knew shit. And then there were a lot of us, there were like 10 of us that all just sort of 
all women, all bonded and became friends through this message board where we'd write fan fiction, we would talk to each other, we would speculate about theories. When the sequels came out, we would all cry about how bad they were. Like, it was this amazing, insane group. And these two women that I've known from this message board since I was like a baby, Ellie and Brittany, are married now. They met through the hard line and like would visit each other in college. I've actually flown out and visited Brittany from when I was in like high school. Like my first solo plane ride was to find a friend on the internet in Chicago. And like they're married and they've been married for a few years. And their rings, their rings say, their rings are engraved with like quotes from the Matrix. And it's the sweetest. Oh my God. And like, it's so, everybody just like paired off in like real ways. And I still talk to a few of them. Like it's, it's crazy. I was going to just make a joke about wedding vows and using matrix quotes, but no, that's actually really nice. <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, I think like one of them is like when Trinity says, believe it. And like, I'm, I'm with you. He's like, are you with me? And she's like, believe it. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, I think that might've been from one of the sequels, but still, oh no, it doesn't matter. It's Trinity. Trinity's the best. Trinity is the, the turning of nice young girls into feisty lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. All everybody went gay. Carrie Ann Moss was the Kate McKinnon of her day. Oh my god. <laughs> Although I don't I don't really know what I how I what my alignment is in that department, but That's cool. Everyone's their own thing. I definitely I definitely turn up for Trinity. Or turn down <laughs> for Trinity. What is it? Turn down turn for down what? For what? <laughs> god, I can't tell you how disappointed I was when I found Carrie Ann Moss's Instagram and it's all just like fucking yoga and meditation. Just like fuck oh, you, no. stop. <laughs> You're supposed to be cool. <laughs> Although she, I was very happy when she turned up on Daredevil uh, on the TV series. Jessica Jones. Oh, oh sorry. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Crossing the streams. She was gorgeous in that. Oh, my God. Oh, so cool. And, and so mean. So ah, Kathy. A thousand cuts. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So that was the Matrix for me. It was like my, not my intro to fan fiction per se, but my intro in like thinking about fan fiction and putting thought into stuff that I would write and reading other things and like putting thought into what I would read. For me, it was very, I was very much aware that I was younger and dumber than most of these people I was talking to. I'm like, I remember, I remember having like getting my dad's cell phone and sitting out on the front porch of her house and like calling up some of these girls and being like, hey, and having like friendship conversations on the phone. Like, hey, it's me, Allison. Like, hey, it's me from the internet. Uh-huh. And it all kind of fell apart, as most things do. And a lot of weird nonsense that I still to this day could not tell you what happened, but it all kind of went away. What you're saying about about the hard line is actually very familiar to me. I've talked about it a little bit on the show. I had a place like that for, for Buffy. It was uh, The Watcher's Diary. It was a a forum. Well, originally it was an episode guide, and then it became a forum. And I met people on there. Like I I went started like checking it out in my first year of university, and there are people I still talk to from Mm -hmm. that. But you're right. Once that once you stop going to the actual forum, it becomes difficult to sustain those relationships. Mm-hmm. And although a happy end to that story is that two years ago when I went to LA on the way to Mexico for my sister's wedding, I was able to stop in and see my friends Annika and Will, who I'd met on, well, I'd been talking to on this forum. And they were dating when, when they were on the forum and they're married now and have two kids. Oh my gosh. And it's amazing. And I got to meet them. I've known them for 15 years, but met them in person for the first time. Oh my gosh. Last year. That's delightful. I love, I love how that happens. It's, it's really interesting. Like, cause, cause I was always a yeah, big, nice. I was always a big reader of books and things, mm-hmm. but fan fiction really, here's the thing. I don't think I've ever talked about the hard line, like to people mm-hmm. outside of the hard line. So I'm like outing myself as a big old nerd, but fan fiction is a normal thing now, apparently to talk about according to like Vox and <laughs> and like Huffington Post. So I think you have Sherlock to thank for the popularization of fan fiction as a subject matter. But... I think it's one of those things where it's like, I'm trying to think back now. Like my first fan fiction that I ever read was a Transformers one. Like I was on a site where I think it was just like like going through, like I was trying to remember like what Transformers toys I had had. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think it was BWTF, which is Ben's World of Transformers. Mm-hmm. And I think it led... Like I went down like three links and got to a fan fiction site. And it was, I can only say that it was written by a very depressed person because it was a story about Optimus Prime having won the war and then being super depressed and killing himself because he had no purpose left. So pessimist Prime? Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for lightening that because I remember reading that and kind of like closing the screen and walking away and being (laughs) like, what did I just read? 
That's amazing. When I was in college, I had like a resurgence of, of love for Gundam Wing. My living situation at my on-campus housing kind of fell through and blew up in the way that like I had this roommate who was, her boyfriend got out of jail and for armed robbery and was living with us and oh, wow. this whole thing. And so oh, boy. I, while they were reassigning me because I, my bringing it up caused her to lose her mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, I feel like we're getting the TLDR version of a very different story. <laughs> what's the T? Oh, tell me what's the T. To get it through, to get through it quickly, I was living on my friend's floor for dorm for like a month. Oh no. Actually, and it was a great time. It was a great friend. We had a great time. It was wonderful. I think I, don't, I think even she had a good time, but I didn't have a key to her building. You couldn't copy the keys. It was all like these cards. So I remember I would spend a lot of time in like common room area on her floor and I was reading I found this like 300,000 word fanfic for Gundam Wing and it was this like huge epic like post series, really well written, really well thought out, and I would just like read it. Like when I had nothing to do and I'd done all my homework and done all my studying and been at rehearsals and was done. And like, I just would like read this thing when I was waiting for my friend to come home so we could like go to bed and go to sleep. And like, it was so nice. Like, (laughs) it was like my me time. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. I always read fan fiction and I always read books and stories and comics but like fan fiction was what gave me an awareness that you could actually like put more thought into what you read and like into what you didn't get out of what you read and it sort of bridged a lot of gaps in movies and shows and books like harry potter a lot of cut scenes that could you know the matrix Mm -hmm. lots of options lots of ways it could have gone lots of things missing lots of little moments gundam wing None of these characters are fleshed out at all. So why not? Like, there's always more opportunity to expand upon things you already loved. And so I loved reading it. I loved writing it. So delightful. Speaking of books and fan fiction, I think this is a good segue into the Jedi Apprentice book series. <laughs> that was an excellent segue. I can't and even... I'm not even going to argue it. So yes, tell me about the Jedi Apprentice series. I can't even say that with a straight face. My God. Star Wars prequels were pretty polarizing set of movies and i remember seeing the phantom menace at age 11 loving it because <laughs> i was 11 <laughs> and i only saw it like twice so i wasn't like scrutinizing it and i was at barnes and noble no borders because borders was like a great place back then borders books and music i used to work there oh my god delightful <laughs> yep i bet you would not say so <laughs> I may have danced on their grave a little bit when they went out of business. Like they had a sale where it was like 10 books for $10 and I went and cleaned up and couldn't keep a smile off my face. But please go on. (laughs) Dancing on your grave, bitches. Borders and Barnes and Noble all the way. There was this book series I found in like the YA section, which is just called the kids section back then because YA wasn't really a thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there was this book series about Obi-Wan as Qui-Gon's apprentice. And like the whole, I, I don't know how I like I where I found it, and I like I stumbled upon it, and I was like, hey, I'll read this. And then like every week, I would go back to Borders and buy another one of these books. And I just remember like thinking of how much better they could have been. Like I only I got like I read like eighteen of these books, and then I was just like, oh, no, wow. I'm no longer satisfied. <laughs> back to the internet with. <laughs> But it was so interesting. Like, I mean, they're written like slapdash, probably. Like, I don't know how much thought was put into them, but it was like, Qui-Gon didn't want to take an apprentice. Obi-Wan was almost too old and almost aged out of the Jedi Temple. And he's Qui-Gon is reluctant to take him on. Obi-Wan's headstrong and he's older and he's almost too old. And he Qui-Gon is like, no, I don't want an apprentice. And Yoda's like, you should take one. And Qui-Gon's like, no. And so they're like sending Obi-Wan <laughs> to be like a farmer because you're like, all right, you've aged out of the Jedi system. And guess who happens to be on the same spaceship? It sounds like the plot of a romance novel, but it's not. It's just Obi-Wan becoming Qui-Gon's apprentice. And like in the third, the second or third book, it's like Obi-Wan's birthday and Qui-Gon gives him a rock. (laughs) (laughs) Does he even try and like justify it as like, oh, does he even try and like justify it as like, oh, "Oh, this is like a Zen thing where it's like when you understand why I've given you this rock, you'll, you'll have learned something about yourself. That's exactly, no, that's exactly what it was. Of Um, course it was. Everyone's like, it's a rock. And Qui-Gon's like, yeah, it's smooth. It's from a river. (laughs) And, you know, maybe meditate with it. You'll see. And it actually, I think like Obi-Wan gets like locked in a, I I have like a crazy memory and like all of this is sticking with me from years ago. And like Obi-Wan gets locked in a freezer at one point and he's like, this rock is glowing. Oh, it has the force in it. (laughs) 
and like the rock keeps him warm in this freezer. <laughs> and he's like, wow, great birthday present after all. <laughs> you might say my present giving rocks. <laughs> and then freeze frame and credits. They jump into the air and they high five and it's a freeze frame and then everybody. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was kind of like that. So that was, what, and I never really was in, inspired to go online for the for that book series, really. I was like, no, this is enough. <laughs> the idea of just like going in and, and browsing the YA stuff was something I used to do in high school because I didn't have any money to buy the books. Mm-hmm. And so I would go into the chapters across the, from the movie theater in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And I would go to the YA shelf and I would grab like a Buffy novelization or something like that. And they were short enough and written plainly enough that I could probably get through them reading quickly in about an hour or two. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty easy to get through. So it'd be one of those things where it's like I'd walk in, be like, oh, I haven't seen that one before, and sit down for an hour and read it. And honestly, it's amazing they didn't kick me out. Yeah, they didn't? That is that is amazing. I'm always afraid. I don't think anybody cared. I'm always afraid to read books in bookstores because people are going to be like, fuck you, pay me. It's the, I will. It's the, this isn't a library, I think is the one I get most often. Oh, man. I don't remember. I think... I think the library, though, is where I found my first Dragon Rider of Pern book, which was a whole crazy can of worms. And I, I had a revitalization this past year, like 2016. I was like, wow, there's so many Dragon Riders of Pern books that I have not read yet. So I read like the rest of them. I mean, oh, my God, it's huge. The Anne McCaffrey ones, not the Todd ones. I don't like the Todd ones. I was going to say no dolphins, no dolphins of Pern. No, I read the dolphins. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the dolphins of Pern is after Jackson finds a computer and then in the future with... um the girl who heard dragons and she's got a son who's like oh the dolphins saved me and said hello and they're like stupid dolphins don't talk and dolphins <laughs> are like wow we've been waiting for you it's i mean sure we've, we've got sentient dragons and fire lizards and you know threads that fall from the sky uh, but you know what dolphins are stupid no, 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 because the dragons were genetically engineered from fire lizards, and they were... There you go, yeah. They were made to tra- to tell... Well, not to teleport, but they were made to speak, and they were made to be sentient and to breathe fire. Like, the fire lizards were just these tiny little, like, dragon birds, basically. I, I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, doubting dolphins in that particular world seems like a bit of arbitrary skepticism. Kind of, yeah. It's like, there are dragons in the sky, but nope, we draw the line at dolphins in the sea. Like Hellboy not believing in leprechauns or something. <laughs> it's like, that's stupid. You are a boy from hell. What are yeah, you, you talking you, about? <laughs> you just punched a slug demon and you're talking to a skeleton on your back. How is this hard to believe? Look in the mirror, Hellboy. Could you do that for me? Just look in the mirror. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Hellboy. <laughs> But no, the Dragon Rider of Pern was such a good series for me to get into at the time. It was fantasy. It was this medieval fantasy for like four or five books. And then at the fifth book, you're like, oh, it's actually like hard sci-fi. Because it's this like you this medieval-esque country and land and planet that you have grown to love over these books is actually like this highly civilized, modern computer digital civilization that was lost to time. Because the thread that fell from the sky destroyed all machines and all reference and all all stories and history so it's like well over 2000 years i guess of no record keeping everybody just goes back to a medieval totalitarian society <laughs> or something yeah totally and i mean i think they even like set it up it's been a very long time since i read pern but i think they even set it up in the first book like i think doesn't like the first page start like talking about it as this colonized planet. Oh, and by the way, these things come from space. Yeah, it's um, per P E R N, the third star in the Brookbat system, colonized. Or maybe it's the second book, because I think the first book opens up with like, oh, this kitchen slave gets <laughs> in this castle, like <laughs> a sword. Yeah, yeah, like names with apostrophes. We got loads of apostrophes. <laughs> God, I, I'd hate when you'd have a normal name and then you'd impress a dragon and your name would suddenly like lose a vowel and replace it with an apostrophe. <laughs> the land of the glottal stop. I know, but like these dragons are smart. Why can't they just pronounce a fucking name? <laughs> yeah. 
This was um, my first experience with Yahoo Group role-playing email chains. Okay. Um, I was in one for Dragon Riders of Pern. Apparently, the Dragon Riders of Pern, like, role-playing stuff and fan fiction was illegal. Like, Anne McCaffrey has, like, spoken out against... I say has, like, she's not she's not alive anymore, but back in the heyday of this, she, like, would speak out against fan fiction all the... Like, she it was like the fucking Axanar. She'd be like, all of you are breaking the law, and this is my property. My intellectual property. It's like we're writing emails to each other where we pretend that we're characters with dragons. I don't know what harm we are causing. (laughs) (laughs) I was such a Mary Sue in that fucking email group. Oh, my God. (laughs) What color was your self-insert character's eyes? I think blue because I have blue eyes. They didn't change color when you were angry or anything? No. I thought you were going to ask what color my dragon was. All right. Okay. Uh, Rephrase. What color was your dragon? Green because I wanted to be free. I didn't want to be changed to being like a milkmaid. Like baby mother. Nice. Do you remember like the White Dragon book? Any details of that? I knew that I knew it existed. I don't think I ever read it. Well, I don't at, think I got that far. At one point in the book, Jackson gets this disease called Firehead, which is like this intense like flu slash plague slash Black Death or something. And I remember I made my character have it, so people would pay attention to me <laughs> in the role play. <laughs> Okay, so this is Munchausen by digital proxy. Look at me, everybody. Take care of me. Pay attention to me. I'm important. I'm dying from a wasting sickness. Isn't that romantic? I'm not getting enough attention, so I'm dying. <laughs> and then I think I just sort of dropped off one. I was so embarrassed, I just stopped replying to any emails. And I like left the group in shame. <laughs> Was well, I'm glad there was a happy ending there, oh, yeah. at least, <laughs> or at least an, an an unsure one. Yeah, I never really got into the whole online world of the Dragon Riders of Pern. Um, I was more just like, well, I read the books, and oh, when I was at camp, I used to pretend that I had a pet fire lizard, or like when I'd go walking in the woods, I'd pretend that I'd like find eggs from fire lizards, and I would like hatch one, and like it would just kind of hang out on my shoulder when I would be like walking around by myself because. Friends were difficult for me, so I was kind of by myself reading books a lot. <laughs> no, that, that's simply understandable. As someone who used to imagine how I would explain the modern world to various characters from various books, were they to just appear on my front lawn, Aww. I completely sympathize. Like I would sit there and go, like I would sit in Odell Park in Fredericton and look around at the, the big, huge trees that were there. And what would what would Loyal the Ogier think <laughs> if he were to be there? That we would have this nice place full of trees. I think he'd like that. Yeah, so, so you are not alone. I used to do so much of that, like pretending I either was a character or was in a situation or had this character in my life with me and like maybe I had to like take care of them or show them around or help them out with something. And I, I remember like when I'd get into bed at night and I would just like close my eyes and just sort of imagine for like a good like hour or two hours. But I would, then I, I got older and I was like, well, I'd rather read a book than just sit there and think about things. Or I'd rather write something online than just sit here and think. And now it's like I'd rather fucking futz around on my phone. But I still, it was such a vivid imaginary life. So rich with like, I, I could, like, imagination's fucking awesome. <laughs> it really is. And I think on that note, that's a nice place to end things. So, Allison, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? You can go on iTunes and look up Xena Warrior Business, which is our podcast. You could also find Lila's Love You Like a Sister, also on iTunes. Or if you wanted to find my photography, you can go to alisonstock.com. I'm on Twitter at Ally Stock, A-L-L-Y-S-T-A-W-K. I spell it funny, like a New Yorker would pronounce it, uh, <laughs> because everything else was taken. <laughs> if you read comic books, you could find my assistant editing work in Spider-Man and other spider characters, Nova, Venom, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, what have you. Many, many fun books have my name on them now (laughs) (laughs) and i've even worked on something i've got a lot going on but yeah you can just twitter me tweeter tweet at me make a little bird sound give me a rock for my birthday you know (laughs) it's in august i I don't know when i'm gonna get locked in a freezer but you never know (laughs) all right allison well thank you so much for coming on this has been fantastic of course thank you so much for having me this is delightful
drums are going tonight And she hears only whispers of some quiet conversation Thanks very much to Alison Stock for her time. For this week's signature cocktail, Alison provided me with a name, the Whiskey Trench. I accepted this as a challenge, but before I could even get started, she sent through this amazing anecdote that I'm just going to have to read verbatim. Man, I wish I had told you about this. It's a huge bit of family history for me. There's a below-ground-level stretch of highway passing a part of the St. Lawrence River that used to have a bunch of whiskey distilleries all around it. After we moved to America, we would go back and visit Canada a lot, like a few times a year. This is how I first learned about the Whiskey Trench. Dad would be driving up through it, and he would yell, Okay, here we go, this is the Whiskey Trench! And then we would have to roll down all the car windows, even in the dead of Montreal winter. The smell of whiskey was overpowering. As the years went by, we drove up to Montreal as a family less and less. But every time, we rolled down all the windows, even as the smell got less and less prevalent each year. So yeah, trench-like stretch of highway that ran through whiskey distilleries. The Whiskey Trench. Canadian news reports will call it the Whiskey Trench when talking about the area, which is cool because I always thought it was just some silly thing my dad made up. So you've got the nostalgia of going back home to a place that isn't your home anymore. And then the fact that I love whiskey. Thanks again, Allison. That is an amazing anecdote, and I'm a little bit inspired. So with no further ado, I present the Whiskey Trench. In a jug or large mixing glass, place five or six big ice cubes. Onto these ice cubes, pour two ounces of Canadian rye whiskey, one ounce of port, one shake of Angostura bitters, and one teaspoon of maple syrup. Stir vigorously with a bar spoon and then strain into a pre-chilled champagne coupe. Garnish with a maraschino cherry and serve. While it's not as sweet as sugar pie, c'est un peu de Québec. Tabarnak. Enjoy! The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, just send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, or Lokified82 on Snapchat. Fair warning, my Snapchat is mostly pictures of my cats, my dog, and things I'm about to eat. If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lokified and chip in as little as a dollar a month, or really as much as you want. Patreon backers get early access to episodes, physical mail, and other rewards, and really I would just appreciate it a whole bunch. For those looking to support the show in a non-monetary way, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps with discoverability and gets more people listening to the show. If you really like the show, you can write a review, and I'll even read them out. Won't that be nice? If you like the music on the show, you can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, and get our Spotify playlist. I update it every week with all the music that I use, including this song, which is a remix of the Gundam Wing theme, Just Communication. However, you won't find Garth Marenghi's Dark Places One Track Lovers Rap Breakdown, which I used at the beginning of the episode, because it's not on Spotify. Next week, I'll be talking to Kevin Mann, co-host of How To Wrestling, the Attitude Era podcast, or AE podcast as it's now known, and Cinema Swirl, about the joy and frequent frustration of point-and-click adventure games. Join me, won't you? Just one beat, communication, let me move.
So, what did you do today? Let's just get started. What did I do today? Apart from feed the cats. Yeah. I fed, well, just one, but I fed them twice. So, could have fed one cat twice or two cats once. Or, no. um, mm-hmm. So, I woke up early and I went to my jujitsu class. And I hadn't been able to go okay. in like three weeks because of holidays and scheduling and work. So, I was really out of mm-hmm. shape and really out of practice. And everyone, I, my goal with jujitsu is whenever I miss is to not miss class so much that the teacher will send an are you okay email <laughs> which is really humbling and makes me feel shitty like i'm still paying well, i was gonna say it's, it's nice that they send the email so it's at least it's like you know hey you know are you all right you haven't fallen down a ditch or no. anything like that but it makes me feel really bad <laughs> like hey where are you you haven't shown up for class uh are you alive are you interested in are you gonna keep coming to these, class, these classes you're paying for? I'm like, uh. Is, is it something I said? <laughs> Did somebody sweat on you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think especially you're doing jiu-jitsu. I mean, you're going to be rolling around on the floor at some point. I think that's like an occupational hazard. We had a moment today, actually. Um, this guy, I was holding on to his gi. I think it's called the gi. What it, mm-hmm. Our uniform? Yeah. The, yeah. the gi. I was holding on and he was tilting his head and he had like this big droplet of sweat about to fall off of his nose and he like Uh noticed it and then he quickly like without acknowledging that he noticed it just sort of angled his head so it wouldn't hit me when it fell. (laughs) I just highly considerate. Yeah, it's really, it's very, very considerate. Everybody there is very aware of how, how profusely we sweat. Yeah, it's like it's like the unspoken thing of look, we know humans can be gross. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're learning to, you know, tear a, pu- a human apart with your bare hands, mm-hmm. the least you can be is courteous. <laughs> I mean, there's like a there's a a list of rules on the wall, and it says, um, you know, here are the rules to follow for being in class, and one of the rules is hygiene, be clean, be hygienic. And sometimes if I can't like get to the laundromat or have a shower mm-hmm. before class, I won't go to class because I don't want to be disgusting. <laughs> You don't want to be that person. No, especially since I'm so new. I don't want to be the girl that smells bad. I mean, like, I already don't shave my legs in the winter, so I kind of have some rather hairy ankles uh, in case anyone notices, but I don't think anybody really gets that far. But Yeah, I was going to say, if anyone did, you could just, like, play it off as, like, either, like, a superstition, like, kind of like how, how hockey players don't shave during the playoffs, <laughs> or you could play it off as, you know, oh, it's wind resistance, it makes it better for break falls and stuff, so, or just, you know, as I'm flying through the air, it slows me down. I, I just use the excuse of intense feminism. <laughs> <laughs> because I shouldn't have to shave, damn it. Because it's cold. <laughs> for you. No one's going to see my legs in, like, eight months anyway, so, so suck That's it. the realistic version. Suck <laughs> Goodness. I mean, I, I've had I've had a beard for like two and a half years, and people are like, "Oh, you know, don't you ever think of shaving it?" And the answer is always, "Well, there's the option of doing nothing in which I keep a beard, uh-huh. or like making a huge effort and then having to continue that effort every three or four days for the rest of my life." And I can tell you which answer comes out real easy. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, it's like, but like nobody asked Sisyphus why he's rolling the rock and he's like well I could do nothing and then not have to roll the rock or I could roll the rock and then do it every day like I bet his yeah, I mean, arms at least are the amazing other, yeah I bet the other people in, and the thing is all the other people in Tartarus who are like have the deeply ironic punishments all have some kind of penalty for not doing the thing mm. like you know Tantalus is up to his chin in water mm-hmm. and like there's food just above him and if he reaches for the food it's out of his reach but if it if the water drops he, he goes for the water the water drops down but he's always hungry and thirsty so it's like the penalty is oh you starve or die of thirst or you try for these things like yeah. that at least makes sense Sisyphus dude no one is making you roll that rock <laughs> up the hill I think something's making him roll the rock up the hill nobody really knows what it is I think it's a nebulous metaphor but like no one's... He is lit by a deep inner fire. But then, but then, what about Prometheus? That's like, oh, okay. Do you do you remember the show called? Ka- He's chained to the rock. Yeah. So. Do you remember the show called Kablam? It was this like. I don't. It was like a thirty minute. It was a thirty minute, um, kind of a kids variety show, but it was there was no host really, but it was all like animated or three D or cartoonish and some mm-hmm. and like little snippets, and each thing would be four to five six minutes long. And there was this one series on it called Prometheus and Bob, and it was with these like like a caveman and an alien, and they were buddies. And um, I always like I learned about some mythology and stories very young, so I knew the story of Prometheus. Mm-hmm. And so they got to Prometheus, Prometheus and Bob, and I always thought it was going to end 
with him getting chained to a rock and getting his guts eaten out. And it never happened, and I was always like, oh, is it a through line, maybe? Is it a consistent storyline? Like, just because his name was Prometheus. Is this a prequel? <laughs> is it a sequel? Has he been freed by, by some warrior princess that has been involved in everything? <laughs> like, who knows? I've, I've heard that warrior princesses do get around and do get involved in literally everything. She does all of the work and gets none of the credit. <laughs> butter fuck deeply concerning (laughs) and yes you're allowed to swear hey how about that (laughs) you read my mind i was gonna say i heard that hesitation and i'm used to it by now the oh oh, is i I listened to a few episodes of your podcast which are which is which was delightful (laughs) gosh um which was delightful but I, i always forget if cursing is okay it is totally okay we have earned our explicit tag many times over fuck yes (laughs) <laughs> Fuck yeah, seeking. We're gonna go for a nerdy one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with the Matrix because I have a particular story to lead into the Matrix. All right. So I'll give um, you a lead in. All right. So so basically, uh, actually, yeah. If you want to give me a lead in? Go for it. Oh, oh, I thought you were. Gonna, I wanted to give you. Oh, I was going to, and then yeah. So go ahead if you want to say something first oh no you I'm, I'm giving you the floor to lead in oh i see <laughs> i thought you meant lead in like i'm gonna give you an intro before you start talking like, no, that's oh no i'm gonna um, give it to you the responsibility of doing yeah. that yourself <laughs> this is all going after the show we are like doing politeness judo here to see who can go first no you no you oh please you oh i insist oh, oh. no i went last time thank you so much <laughs> thank you oh yeah okay so Oh, hey, that's nice, eh? Oh, that's hey. my mom. Sorry. <laughs> hey, that's nice. Sorry, eh? sorry. It's and people are like, "Oh, what are you talking about?" I'm like, "Hey, hey, hey! It's about." A, thank you very much. A boot. A boot. <laughs> like we're not from like Buttsville, Scotland. It's not a boot. Yes. What are you talking about? Like, get out of my swamp. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead, it it becomes oh, no doubt, no doubt. No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> When I first moved to the states, though, no, people so, thought I was British or English. Oh yeah, see, I get the, I get the Irish thing. I don't know why, um, because I think it's Eastern Canada because I, I spent a lot of time in Fredericton, New uh-huh. Brunswick, and uh, so I have that those slightly rounded R's that you get from ah, the East Coast, R's. and apparently that was enough to make you. So it's R as, and so it's like, apparently that's close enough to confuse people. But yeah. anyway, well, it's like a pirate R, so that's important. <laughs> And you can roll up the rim to win. True story. What are, what um, are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back. <laughs>